Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and thanks for tuning in again today. Joining me as always, I got Scott W. and Mr. Finder, and a special guest. Say hello to Jason Graham, who is supposedly wanted by the FBI. Hello, guys. <laughs> hey, Jason Graham. Holy cow, I didn't believe you. I can't believe you said that, Santa. <laughs> Well, you said you said you said that you weren't, and you know, whenever so, someone says right. that, you that's know, right. I'm not. Not. That is you, you know, it's a lie when they say they're not. Because who brings that up? That's just too suspect. That's right. That's right. No, in, in, indeed, I don't believe I am. But who knows now, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Now the algorithm has it. It's mm-hmm. like, wait, what did they say? Oh, I can see it now. I can see it now. It'll show up on the FBI's Tim Most Wanted just because. <laughs> well, that's funny. I mean, I assume they're already flipping out every once in a while as I'm designing a new game. Like, hey, what's he searching now? Holy shit, no. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you you want to be very careful with that, Scott, because what you type in starts showing up. Start oh. showing up in the algorithm. That's right. Exactly. I feel bad for him just for video games because how many times like I've searched something, it's like, you know, I put in the name of the game and then I write bombs. I'm like, <laughs> mm. Right. And then I think to myself, that could probably put me on a list. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like Splinter Cell, how to breach the NSA's outer perimeter. Right. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's like looking up uh, for this SNW game that I'm preparing. Yeah. The Savage Worlds game that I'm preparing. Yeah. I'm looking up Nazis and Vichy Swall. You know? <laughs> oh, no. And it's like, who, who, you know, it's fortunately it's old data. You know, it's pre, it's pre fifties. It's old World War II data. So I, I figured it's not a big deal, but yeah, got to be careful what you type in. No, that game, <laughs> that that the setup for that game, just with what you had on the screen, that that, that shit looks dope. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I hope it's gonna be fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, it'll be fascinating because I I really tr- I really uh, dig it. Number one, the game the other night, Scott, brilliant. Uh, um, and, uh, but I was thinking today, I was thinking, I want this to be this kind of tight, you know, a little more methodical, a little more, and I don't know if you can do it. I have a feeling, I have a feeling the way Savage Worlds is going to, I don't know if you want to restrain the dice, right? I don't know if you want to restrain that, you know, it just lends itself to pulp. So it's going to be fascinating to see how quickly the game turns pulp. So if your game is more, it's going to be kind of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right? Uh, yeah, uh, to some degree, yeah, yeah. So I just I would advise and Rich Rich is our also he's our expert for Savage Worlds. Okay, professionally, um, I would say use like kind of what we were doing with the raises, making those matter in like your investigations and your notes right and stuff. Yeah, that way you don't got to worry about anything else, and it, you can kind of have that uh, almost a noir feel to it, right? Yeah, that's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm looking for, right? It, it, I'm thinking black and white old uh, espionage film. They won't even have a lot of gear, right? I mean, this guy's behind enemy lines. Uh, the yeah. resistance may have some weapons, but he's sure. not gonna—he's not gonna parachute into France yeah. with a whole lot of gear. And depending on how deadly you want it, you know, if you want to make the bullets matter without worrying about the zaniness of the dice, just use a setting rule: um, gritty damage. Oh, then, yeah. Now is that in the is that it's, in this edition? Yeah, okay, I, I, I haven't seen it yet in the rules. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the neat thing about Savage Worlds. Like so I'll so I'll grid it up. I'll warn them that I'm I'm making this a little more gritty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And to anyone who's curious, uh, Scott actually ran a game for Jason on mm-hmm. his channel. Uh, what, what's your channel called again, Jason? It's uh, Role Play Cafe. Uh, Dell and I's channel. Technically, it's Dell's channel, uh, but uh, uh, I produce a lot of stuff for it and we do all of our actual play stuff there and we do all of our game development uh conversations there and we run our we run our play test stuff for our game development there so but it's technically it was uh, dell's channel originally so i'm, I'm part of it but it's dell's channel role play cafe mm-hmm. nice it's a good time so out of curiosity jason how how did you get into tabletop before we get into our uh theme of this episode because i think it might be it might work out well okay uh well uh gosh where do i start um i was seven eight years old uh going through my middle brother's uh closet in the basement found a ouija board and holmes D &D. and uh and uh you know being the eight-year-old little brother i was i took those upstairs to my room and and we started having fun with the ouija board and uh holmes dungeons and dragons 1978 uh, we tried to figure it out. I wasn't that sophisticated. I mean, 
by the time I was 10, I was running uh, Moldvade, uh, homes in Moldvade for all the guys in the neighborhood. So I started at eight, I guess, nine, but I really wasn't paying close attention to what the rule book said until I was 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I started paying closer attention to the rule books in my 30s, but prior to that, I basically just used it as, hey, guys, make some characters and then did whatever I wanted to when it came down to it. So, uh, but Dungeons and Dragons, Moldvay, Mincer, that was our that was our go-to. But we played a lot of things. Top Secret, the first edition of Top Secret, still one of my favorite games of all time. We played a lot of that. We had Chill, we had Boot Hill, we had if TSR made it, we bought it. Uh, but everything was TSR for us for the most part. We didn't we didn't step out uh, and try Merp. We didn't step out and try uh, what was it, Paranoia or something back in the day? I yeah, can't remember. Paranoia. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars, the initial D6 Star Wars, we all looked at that and laughed, you know, because we were D20 heads. And we, if it didn't look like D&D, &D, we, we, I'm talking junior high, high school. Yep. If, it, if it didn't look like Dungeons and Dragons, we'd scratch our heads and go, what the hell is this? And it would go, it would go, it would, it would go in the no buy, uh, you know, section. So we, we did, there's a lot of stuff we did not play. But 90% of it was Dungeons and Dragons basic, and I, we would just, uh, I would add stuff to it, and they could go on and on if they survived, but rarely do they survive beyond level seven or nine. And then we did have that expert set, and then we played a lot of Top Secret. Was our That was like how we took a break from D&D &D was Top Secret. Yeah. So did you watch the movie Cloak and Dagger? Cloak and Dagger. I do not. I don't think I've ever seen that. Which one is that? That's the one with the kid from E.T., and it's his... It's basically top secret. I mean, it's it's he, he, as a kid, he's a role player, huh. and he plays like a secret agent. And so, I can't remember the the other main character's name, but throughout the movie, he is investigating, or he gets roped into some clandestine. Oh, I've got to look that up. How could I have missed that? Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. Well, partly it's a cheesy movie, but. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I, you know, there's a I I love cheesy movies. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a mystery science theater fan. So you know, those those guys sit around ripping on movies. Oh man! See, and did you say so? This is where I kind of got lost. Did you say that you did play the Star Wars from West End? Games I did not. I, a matter of fact, I've never played it. I've never played should, uh, that book. Is so oh. awesome because it's got all the cheese. It's like got. Recruitment posters for the Empire. It was an nice. awesome book. Love that. Nice. Game. So fun. Well, you know, it's funny now that I'm older and I've started picking up these games. I'm like, man, I wish I would have bought these back in the day, you know. Yeah. There, there's, there is such a difference in writing. So this will tell you This will tell you how narrow I was, right? I, you know, It was Holmes and then it was Moldvay. We bought the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons monster manuals so I could have more monsters to throw at these guys. Right, uh, we did have some AD and D books, but we didn't use them. We kind of, I kind of would, I would cannibalize rules out of the AD and D stuff that I liked as a GM, and the players just played whatever homebrew crap I put in front of them. Right, but I had never looked at a dungeon master's guide. And the other day, I'm on YouTube, and I'm, I'm uh, there's some guys reading the uh, what is it, the first edition AD and D dungeon master's guide by Gary Gygax, and yep. he's highlighted text in that. Of how to play and how to be a DM, and I'm thinking, holy shit, I've never seen this book. And some of the stuff that's in that book, I'm like, are you kidding me? Gary Gygax wrote a treatise on how to be a DM. Are you kidding me? I had no idea. Yeah, it's yeah. basically a 200 page treatise on yeah. on DMing, and I'm thinking two things. One, that's amazing because nobody does that now. It, really, in my opinion, it's all corporate nonsense mostly. And two, I don't know if it's a good idea. <laughs> because that stuff becomes that stuff becomes canon, right? Yeah. This is where people fight about the rules. Well, Gary said. Well, Gary said here. Gary said it becomes in a way canon, and it's it's like holy cow! Uh, yeah. If I had played with other groups as a kid, if I had gone around the corner to another guy's house and played with him, I would have probably been shocked by how he was GM and D and D, you know. But you know that's. It's it, it's amazing how much I know, but I'm more amazed at how ignorant I am <laughs> of of the history. I mean, of these books and of these, you know. Yeah. Well, you had so, a really long break too, so. Who, Gary? No, you did right. You had like this. Oh, I had an 18 year, like a yeah, very long break. Indeed. I walked away. Um, I walked away 
uh, at 20, God, I don't know, 20 something. And then I did play in a three, a three game, uh, a friend of mine's buddy, who was a, di the district attorney in El Paso County was running an epic D and D three session. And my buddy was his play baseball with him. He said, dude, you got to come play with this guy. And I said, really? I said, all right, I'm 26. I haven't played in years. Hell, this would be cool. So I, this guy uh, uh, sends me, I get like three days later in the mail. In the mail, I get a manila envelope with like 32-page uh, dossier on my character, the <laughs> lore, the history, what gods I needed to pay. And I didn't even make this character. Oh, wow. It, Jeff Jeff said, what would you like to play? You want to know what you want to play? I said, ah, an elf, man. Make, uh, you know, give me an elf ranger or something. And I get this packet of 30 pages pre-written for me. My history, my family, my heritage. I thought, what the fuck is this? Where 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 do I come into play, right? <laughs> Pardon me, I, I just cursed. Was that no, okay, no. gentlemen? Oh, yeah, oh yeah. you can curse all the fuck. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately I, 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 I am uh yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I used to censor it until um people were asking what do I do? No, no. I used to censor it, but for one, I got tired of having to bleep out every third word. Right, right. Uh, and two I, people were asking, "Is like, why do you, why do you bleep out the swears?" And I was like, yeah. Yeah. "Well, if you tell me, if you tell me, where I'll, I'll watch it." So I, but I, you know, so if you need me to, I'll, I'll, I'll no. rein it in. No, go nuts. Uh, anyway, and I went to this guy's house, and he had, and I, this, I'm not kidding you, right? I'm 26 years old. I had, I had never played before with anybody else but my table as a GM and he's got this massive basement with huge tables he's got this whole castle set up with minis and he's got music going and he's got like eight guys already at the table and I walk in I feel like I, I feel like I've just uh, breached I've, I mean I feel like I'm literally an imposter I'm a I'm an interloper right and I'm like what is going on and it was the it I, for them I think they it was remarkable for me it was dull as dirt oh see <laughs> Dull yeah. as dirt. I would sit for my turn to speak, and I would sit for my turn to roll the dice. And I thought, this, this is crazy. No one's involved here. It's like they were waiting to. But either way, uh, they've been playing together for years, so that's just how they did things. But that was my first experience uh, at 26 after being away for about eight years. Ah, let's see, I quit at about 21. I got married at 24. I was dating. Yeah, I was putting myself through school. So I think I... The last game I might have played might have been 21, maybe so. And then, of course, I came back. Thanks to the RPG Brigade on YouTube, yeah. uh, by accident, I found some role-playing videos. I said, dude, there's other adults out there playing role-playing? What's wrong with these guys? And then I realized, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I could get back into role-playing, and I wouldn't be the only weirdo out there, you know? <laughs> I mean, I really did yeah. leave role-playing. I, I left it behind like it was a childhood thing, right? And... Uh, and then I realized there's a whole culture out there. So that's how alienated I was from the culture. That's how completely away from it I was. And um, and then when I found out about Labyrinth Lord through Tim Harper uh, uh, reviewing a Labyrinth Lord and that it was a free PDF, I said, uh-oh. And I snatched that sucker, <laughs> put together a, t a table here in town and started running guys in a campaign here and was making – that's when I went to YouTube started doing recap videos and expressing – the experience that I was having coming back to gaming after an 18 year hiatus. And, and that's kind of how I started my YouTube channel and then complaining about fourth edition because well, that's right. Yeah. That was the, the other, the other guy here in town was running four E and uh, invited me to those games. A couple of guys was in my group that I was running the OSR for was running four E and he said, you got to come play four E and oh my God, you can imagine how that went. You know, I felt it, it just totally, totally bizarre to me by comparison yeah. to what I've been doing. And you can imagine what these young guys were thinking at my table. Uh, what man? We don't no maps, no minis. What? No, uh, just this one sheet of paper. What? Yeah. Just eight right. hit points. But how do I know what I can do? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And they, they they would. And I'll never forget it. The first time I said, "Okay, guys," I I introduced them to the scenario or to the setting, you know, and, and they just kind of stared at me like crickets. And I went, "Uh, you, you know, what do you guys want to do here?" And they're like, "What? What do you mean? What? What can we do?" And I said, "I just told you where you're at. What you're looking at." Yeah take action you know uh they were accustomed to going around the table with their cards and their and basically combat they were accustomed to combat setups basically you know in 4e and 4e you know obviously was built i think for combat uh, more so than any DD, i think prior of course i'm speaking out of turn as i've never played three five right so <laughs> i would say uh, most of them are kind of geared towards combat even yeah, they are, yeah. You know, they, yeah. it's just yeah i always say it's you can see the war gaming roots 
Well, the, yeah, the, the problem with D&D a lot of times is your character advancement. And this is one thing that I like about Savage Worlds is character advancement in D&D is all combat focused. When you get it is, feet, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a combat feat. Whereas yeah. in Savage Worlds, you can take edges that are social, that are leadership, that are not necessarily combat related, which is, I think, refreshing. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. It's it's gigantic. And uh, well, my biggest issue with Dungeons and Dragons, period, uh, is you're informed on how the game's meant to be played by by one major piece, and that is the only way you get experience is killing and treasure. That dictates the game before it starts because the players aren't stupid; they want experience. They're not going to do things that don't get them experience points. Right now, I'm, well, again, I'm, referring, I'm referring to the you know the era I played. Right? Yeah. Uh, the D&D five E may have other ways you earn experience points, but and then that starts this level crawl to get better, stronger faster, killing bigger, stronger, faster things. And and I, I, they've attempted to put role-playing pieces in it, I believe, with the personality traits, etc. But is that all trappings? Because it seems to me, I was I was looking at the spell list in the in the basic free PDF uh, two days ago. I mean, more than half of the spells are all combat spells. Yeah, right. Same way 3.5 was. In right, right. And, and to me, I mean, when that's the only way you're going to get experiences just through those two things well that's done that's a dungeon crawl or it's a war or it's a which is fine i mean that's how that's how ultimately we've played it and when i usually run an old school osr that it ends up if i'm going to use experience points the way it's written in the book that's ultimately what they're doing they're going up to explore a cavern or a golgotha a dungeon you know uh, tombs whatever and it, it ultimately amounts to collecting treasure and XP. So it does, it does affect the, that's not what I try to run, but ultimately if you're going to sit down with people and say, we're playing 5e, they they know how this, they know the mechanism, right? They know the mechanism of success. They know the mechanism of their characters improving. I mean, one thing I know when I sit down with players is if, if they have the books, they know exactly what those rules are and they're going to expect you to adhere to them. Right. Yeah. Yep. Dude, I, we should have got 1,300 XP for that thing, <laughs> right? There'll be some guy calculating how much XP they should be, they should have earned, right? And, you know, there's, they know. They, that's, what that's what they're looking to do is improve their character through the game. I, you know, Savage Worlds, I haven't even looked at how you advance a character because I don't look at Savage Worlds as, as about advancement. I look at it as about right here, right now, in the shit, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Uh, but that's also how I play most games. As a player, I play right here, right now, in the mindset of my character. I'm not worried. I'm not thinking about anything else. So, uh, in that sense, I'm not a good gamer. I'm a good role player, but I'm not a good gamer. You know, you, you would not want me in your Pathfinder uh, spec op unit because I would be the guy who probably gets everybody in trouble or killed because I don't. I don't max. I don't min max. I'm not a power yeah. gamer. No, we we play with Finder, so. Um... There, there's no purpose of trying to, I guess, win in an RPG. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's, he rolls interestingly. I'm actually really <laughs> nervous for all for Finder's character. Yeah. It's Curse of Strahd experiment. <laughs> I'm real fucking nervous because he really does roll the way. He rolls terrible in real life. He rolls terrible on digital. I, so I'm yeah. Uh, the best, the best stories come out of failure. Absolutely, <laughs> man. The best stories. Those are his only stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's like you know, I'm I'm a professional personal trainer, and I tell everybody, dude, you ain't failing, you ain't trying. Yeah, just <laughs> hope. Yeah. It's gonna succeed sometime, maybe. Right, right. That's funny. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, so I. Uh, I've I've been on a mission for years to, mm-hmm. to find the perfect game. <laughs> Here it comes, yep. <laughs> and uh, that has been my. I think I'm, I'm probably if I'm famous on YouTube for anything, it's that uh you know I get a game and I go, this is pretty badass, and uh, I'll get another one. Yes, yeah, pretty sweet. And I'm always looking for the next great uh, OSR. But part of that is nostalgia. I'm also looking for that game that takes me back to being 13. That first time I opened up Mincer. Yeah. And you know, that Mulve. Is the theme of this episode is chasing the tabletop dragon. Yeah, yeah. So, nineteen minutes in, we get to the topic. Uh, <laughs> it's not a record yet. It's not a record. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Jason. So Jason's not wrong because it's kind of what, kind of what he does, and it's but it's an interesting take because if you're watching Jason's videos, there's no. So I, Jason does not like internet drama. 
I know. No. That. Oh, God, and no. so Jason doesn't talk about a system for internet drama points or to shit on anything, but it's this incredibly sincere approach to does this game do what it says, mm-hmm. and how does that really make you feel? And and then you know, and then you, you do move on to another system because you're like, you know, I guess it's just that's not quite the one yet. And, right, but it's neat because you you also get to experience a lot about these systems, and it's not like right. you're three minute videos crying about it. You're, no, you're, hell no. These very in depth videos of like, oh, here's character creation, here's the right. sample game. So it's amazing to watch that process. Yeah, there seems to be two types of YouTubers out there. I think, uh, and the ones that seem to be very popular, the ones that are teaching you the game and telling you uh, all the secrets of how to make the best paladin in fifth edition. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's like, oh, who watches this? I mean, who who's watching this stuff, right? But uh, obviously, they're very, very popular, right? Yeah. So, no, for me, I you know, I try to be authentic. I I try to be genuine, and I try to share exactly what I'm thinking. And sometimes uh, I might contradict myself because, well, human beings do. But but the gist is to be, and I'm generally positive. You know, I won't do a whole lot. Now, when I first came on YouTube, dude, I. <laughs> I went after Pathfinder and 4E something fierce. Oh, the brigade days were, were different. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, over the course of these last, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, 14 years, I've also had a lot more game experiences outside of what I used to do. So I became yeah. less critical of of the, of gamers and more critical of games, but in a, in a way that I recognize now that, hey, you know, dude, teach his own. I don't eat the same dinner every night. Yeah. I wouldn't tell you whether you should eat chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. It's all your business. But it took me a few. It took me a few lumps uh, in the in the uh, social media community <laughs> for me to realize. Wait a minute. Why I'm not going to have these arguments with people. It's yeah. it's <laughs> asinine. And, and instead, I'd rather have interesting conversations about how the mechanics intone a vibe. You know how the the mechanics affect play and how the mm-hmm. mechanics create a. You know. And I was just talking to Scott. I don't know uh, if uh, uh, Rich was here um, when we were talking about this, uh, you know, with this uh, this one that I'm preparing. I'm not certain I can keep it until Scott said, yeah, you know, use the gritty rules. So, again, now that I know those rules are in there, the mechanics are in Savage Worlds, I don't have to worry about the game getting too pulp, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I, I see Savage Worlds could be run as a very um, – uh, I, I can never think of the right word here for this. Very, I don't want to say again. I said cerebral. That's really not what I meant. But a very methodical kind of uh, intense change that level of success to a to a certain kind of intensity, you know, mm-hmm. in the scene or in the uh, in the danger. Right. Sure. Yeah. It's um, so yeah. Sorry. So that's the thing too is like not just setting rules. Make sure you go over the section and Rich too jump in. Look at um, dramatic tasks because that would right. be huge for what you want to do. Yeah, um, you know, because it builds that tension. Um, trying to think, social conflict rules, right? Very yeah. important, you know. Yeah. See, and these are things that don't exist in old D and D or OSRs. Yeah, right. Uh, you you rolled up a character randomly. You gave him a name, uh, generally some kind of crazy name because people knew they weren't probably going to survive and. Uh, uh, they could they could afford to name their character Jackass because they weren't going to have to live with him very long. So you know, D and D unfortunately I think perpetuated a certain style of play and certain habits and a, a certain adherence to why you would think of role playing on a terms other than just a dungeon crawl, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, at least where I come from. Uh, again, I'm not speaking to those who played Vampire the Masquerade. Every the intention was completely different, right? Yeah. Well, I one one thing I kind of like, like I I'm sa- I find Savage Worlds is one of those settings that a lot of people actually do stick to. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, like I like Savage Worlds, but I'm still I'm still on the hunt for that you know <laughs> that setting that system um, that really kind of just hooks me in and says this is the one. Which I know it's never going to happen. Like you can't really chase that kind of shit yeah. with it actually coming right. true right but there's different i think one of the things that you kind of have to look in and as a system it was like what does it do well because right. you're never going to find a system that does everything perfectly like right now no, my no, current no. my current chase is mutant crawl classic <laughs> um, i'm absolutely loving it i'm yeah, halfway through the book reading it a second time okay um just because i'm trying to i i just love the kind of 
comedic factors of it. The system itself seems quite simple. It seems like I, 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 I prefer, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Gonzo. Uh, theater of the, no, theater, oh, Gonzo, theater of the mind type style. Yes. Gonzo, where I can really kind of let my, uh, you know, just let it kind of fly with whatever I want. Like I've already thought of a bit involving a toaster. Right. Um, <laughs> well, you know, as someone who's developed tabletop sports games, um, lots of them and have provided them. I, uh, so it's funny as a designer, I, I, I know exactly what I'm trying to create and there's a design intent. I'll sit down to say, okay, the game has to do this. It has to achieve this, this, and this. And then it of course has to have game elements, but I never analyzed role-playing games that way because I played whatever I got my hands on as a kid and I ran them. I'd read the book and then I would get them. I teach them how to make characters or whatever. And then we'd play that game, whatever, however well I knew the rules, that's what they got, whether I was good at it or not. Uh, you would have to ask a lot of the guys I you know, ran games for. They kept coming back, so it must have been fun, at least. But I never looked at role-playing games with its design intent. Therefore, I never analyzed role-playing games beyond what I was using them for, right? Uh, and, of course, coming back, designing, having designed uh, and sold my own tabletop football game in, in, in uh, the 2000s and uh, was designing sports games. Only then when I came back to role-playing did I start kind of looking at, oh, yeah, right, I see there's a reason to do it a particular way. And the game we're designing now, you know, Dell and I's goal was to reduce the game's mechanics so they're, they're, not, they're, they're invisible, basically. Let the players play. Let the players narrate. When the players say something that would be contested, that's when we draw on the dice very quickly to decide whether it's pass fell or, or whether it's fell forward or whatever we do with it uh everything is narrative driven there's just not a lot of mechanics at all right so we don't have social combat rules uh we have we have attributes that 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 of course uh, are called upon based on what the players narrating their characters actions are uh and then they're they're simple checks they're simple checks against the difficulty value it's, it's a very simple system and, and our goal is to be first person ic Never meta. So if you watch our playtests, we're rarely meta. Well, we're we're kind of teaching our game and our playtests a little bit, and we're talking about the mechanic out loud in the in the last playtest, so people can kind of follow what we're doing. But our goal when we play is I see first person. It's live, so we're going. And Scott says, "Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know run across the tavern and kick over the chairs, and I'm gonna drive my two handed sword right through this fucking Viking's chest." And I say, "Okay." Um, you, know, you need to make your combat roll. And he just rolls the dice. He either succeeds or fails. If he succeeds, that's a wound, and, and he continues the narration, right? It's like it's like what it does is it substantiates. Uh, it, it, just, it just decides whether there's an actual wound or not, but then I can either spin it on him. The Viking does this, and then he has to make a roll against the Viking or whatever. So it's a very conversational live in session. So there's very little meta. So even Savage Worlds, as well as it ran, the other night and it, it was ran beautifully by Scott and I think we all I think we all knew the rules well enough uh, that we that we didn't make it difficult for Scott to facilitate but there's a meta piece this is why I felt like it was graphic novel the other night <laughs> because there's the narrative port and then there's the stop and make the role analyze the, the, the what we get from the role and then we then we describe that what that looks like that to me that to me sets up multiple psychological phases of the game, right? So there's a psychological thing that happens when we leave that space and then we go to the dice and then we then we interpret the dice and then we get back into that space. So for me that's a that's what most games do. I would argue 90% of games do, regardless of the mechanic, there is some level of meta that occurs that that changes us from live play to let's check the data to back to the back to the action. It's like pausing a movie and talking about we just watched and then starting the movie again and then pausing it to say, wow, you know, I wonder, I wonder if he, she's going to kiss him right now. Let's go out. Let's, let's hit it again. Play. <laughs> yep. She kissed him. Uh, oh, hey, I wonder if they're going to get in the sack. Yeah. You know, we pause it to talk about whether they're going to get in the Yep. Yeah, they're gonna get in the sack. So this is, this has been role playing for me. Unfortunately, this is, that's just been the way role playing has been done. You know, I, and I don't, I have yet to meet a system that defines how we're going to do this without it being just, uh, how can I say it? Can, can you give players complete agency and still activate dice in such a minimum way that we're not, we don't even need to discuss it, right? 
And I think our game's trying to do that, but our game's also doing something else. And I was telling Dell this, we're really trying to teach GMs to be a naive narrator. And so most of our book is designed to give the GM tools to become a naive narrator and allow the game to happen live as opposed to knowing where it's going, right? So when I use a module or I write something like this Savage Worlds game I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to know where the chateau's at. I'm going to know, you know where the evil villain's at. I'm going to know what the evil villain's up to. I'm going to have all that down like a module. In Dark Age of Man, you don't have any of that. You're not supposed to know any of that, right? So our game is really completely uh, asking the GM to be a player and be utterly naive to what's going to happen and where we're going. Know certain things so you're not dumb, you're not blind, you're not, you're not constantly thwarting the players with made-up shit. And then we have tools, uh, we have a random seed generator tools that, that uh, inform the GM that something's occurred in the world on a danger scale that, that is going to potentially impact the players. And that can be introduced into play contextually at any time. So our game is incredibly simple to play for players. Um, and then we have a prestige tool too. And I, I somehow I got talking about my game. I'm so sorry. I don't know. This isn't meant to be about my game, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but this, no, but it's, it's a good reading because I mean, you just I'll, don't tell me I'm now talking about my no, game. No, no, I'm sorry. But I'll ask you the question. No, I, I think this is perfect. So let me ask you this. Yeah. And you may or may not have an answer, but I know you, so I, I know what to expect a little bit. Is Dark Age of Man going to be the end of the dragon chase for you? Uh, yeah, you know, I I told um, I told Dell the other day. Uh, I it, I haven't run anything that did not use my naive narrator and my tools uh, in the last uh, year and a half. So even before we decided to start writing Dark Age of Man to use these tools and these concepts, so we I was already inventing these concepts with Modern Age. Uh, I was running with OSRs. I was already doing it this way. So that I know is never going to change for me. Now, I will do a Savage. My first Savage Worlds game in eight years, I'm going to adhere to a particular thing because I think it does justice to Savage Worlds, right? So I won't be doing my what I normally do with the Savage Worlds game that I'm preparing. I will actually do a traditional prep and that it will have these things, right, that you would that you could turn into a module if you were writing this for for somebody. Um, yes, uh, I am making the game I want to play. And to, to answer that, Scott's uh, short story long, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> I am making the game that I I had rather GM uh, and I had rather be a player in. And the thing I learned the most when I came back, and I had never had a chance to be a player, right? I'd always been a GM. And so I, what I've learned the most since coming to YouTube and meeting people and having a chance to sit at their tables and playing with great guys, I realized all the shit I hate about being a player. <laughs> stuff I never knew I would have disliked, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, wait a minute. I didn't like that. I didn't like that Ivan would just snatch that from me and tell me to make a random die roll out of nowhere. So, dude, I, that, that sucks, even though that's normal. I was doing that to my players for 20 years. Of course. Right? I was doing all of the same things that I later found out when I played. I don't like that. I don't like that. So I'm trying to make the game I'd like to play in, and I'm trying to make the game that I like to prepare for. And so in doing this, these experimental games with Dell, we did these experimental games and I came up with these concepts and ideas. And then I realized how much joy I was having as a GM, not because it was low prep, but because I didn't know where the game was going. It was freaking amazing. These, these stories, these adventures that would come out of the, the dice results uh, and interacting with Dell's uh, character taking live action against the world. So I put him, here's an example. First game we ever played, I put Dell in a, uh, you know, he walks into the tavern of Dredgewater. This is, this is the world I invented for Dragon Slayer before he became Dark Age of Man. Dell comes into this tavern, you know, and uh, I had rolled on the random sea generator, uh, would be king, or the real king. So it's that vague. So the, the random sea generator has vague references and they're, they're seeded to difficulty or, or danger. For instance, 3 die 6, 3 and 18 could be dragon, right? That's, that's, that could change the world. It's very dangerous. But in the middle of that chart are, are, are mundane stuff. Well, like, like number 11 was the real king. So Dell comes into the tavern. He's the only guy there. He's talking to the bar wench. And uh, he says, well, who's in here? And I said, well, there's one guy sitting over there, and he's eating by himself. He's a young guy. He's probably 20. So Dell says, I'm gonna I grab an arrow, I go plop down next to this guy, and this guy, I said, Well, he we proceed to role play live in character. 
and he tells him, I'm the real king. I'm the king of the, of the little kingdom right down the road there. And uh, that my uncles killed my, 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 my father and, and run me and my, my little sister out of town. And so he tells, I tell him this tale as this king, literally made up from the random seed generator, give me the seed. And Dell says, ah, you're full of shit. And he gets up and he walks out, right? <laughs> and so Dell decides to go, well, I'm going to rent a room, go upstairs and rest. So he goes upstairs and rest. Well, meanwhile, he tells Dell this in character. Remember, I'm making this up. I don't know where it's going. So I'm completely making it up. I have to become the king, this would-be king. I have to make sense of this seed that I've written called the real king. So I tell Dell, listen, I'm hiring mercenaries. I want you to join me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to go around and try to find some, take some of these guys and, and go take back my father's castle. And Dell says, ah, you're full of shit. You're not the real king. He says, I'm not getting involved in your crap. And he goes upstairs. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have his, I have him banged awake in the middle of the night by his, the princess, his little sister, says, my brother didn't come home. He went out to hire mercenaries. He disappeared. So everything that occurred in our conversation became, it fed what I gave Dell later. The princess became now his headache because this 10-year-old girl was left behind and his brother went out to hire mercenaries. So then Dell's dragging this 10-year-old kid around with him trying to find his brother and ends up encountering other seeds that come off the chart. I roll new seeds. Every time he encounters a seed, I roll a new seed, that seed. Then I have to fold that into the fiction live somewhere, right? And it might be something mundane, like uh, it begins to rain, heavy rain, right? So it's, it's, they're like, it's almost like wandering monsters. But instead of monsters, they're, they're story pits. They're, 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 they, would be, they would be events or variables that his character could run into, right? So it's kind of hard to explain. But then you have to stay in the mindset of a live game. You don't have time to really think out where this is going. So we have since, we have since in writing the rules, have realized, well, we've got to give better structure than that. So the rule writing of the last year and a half has been creating, how do you, how do you teach this? And how do you how do you put it in a rule book so people can buy your rule book and actually implement what I'm I'm doing, because that was the hardest part. And then I basically taught it to Dell and said, Dell, once you run me in some games doing it, and Dell was like, Holy shit, this is teachable. You can do this. I'm like, Yep, we need to write this. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how we decided to make Dark Age of Man. So Dark Age of Man's setting belonged to another game I had made years ago called Dragon Slayer. Uh, we're using Dell's uh, dice system with my my setting and my uh, my what well, we call it the presenter instead of the game master or the DM. He's called the presenter because he presents the world, presents the NPCs, and then of course presents the dangers that occur live. So it's it's uh, that's the gist of the game. And again, I did not mean to spend this time. I mean, I don't think you guys had me on here to no, pitch no, my game, but no, it's fine. But, yeah. So yes, uh, I definitely am creating the game. And, and 1996, I, you know, I love tabletop sports games. I grew up playing tabletop sports games with my buddies. And if you guys have never played Status Pro Football or Peter, you won't know what the hell I'm talking about. Right? It's not ping pong. They're they're actually simulators, sports simulators. Yeah. They're head to head competition. And in 26, I said I want to. I would love to play one of those games, but I don't have my buddies aren't around, and I don't have those games. So I sat down to invent my own solitaire pro football tabletop game. And uh, by 97, it was copywritten and registered. And by 2000, I was selling it all over the world. I was packaging and selling this, this football game all over the world out of my basement of my home. But that's when I realized if you want, if you want something, you've got to make it yourself. Well, I had never dreamed I would design a role-playing game because I always thought, ah, that's too much work. It's way ahead of my head. It's way above my head. But in the last 15 years, I've learned enough from playing and enough from what I, what I encounter in games that are cool but I don't want to. I don't want to be derivative. I don't want to say that's cool from Savage Worlds. Let me steal that. And that's cool from no. This is about a style of play. And I told Dale, we're not. We're not writing me me mechanics to sell. We're not selling you mechanics. We're selling you a new way of playing. We're selling you a new attitude about your character. And then we put you in the Dark Ages because we have a prestige system that puts your character relevant to other characters in the world. So prestige is a class-based thing. Uh, if you want to talk to the king and your prestige is zero, you're a peasant. The king is not going to meet you. The king is not going to, there's just no way. There's no way in hell you're going to get audience with the king. And your goal is to actually get higher repute. And then, of course, your character would go from, you know, if you're a soldier, maybe you become king. If you're So we do have a, a concept that you can win our game. But you win by getting to repute 10, which would be a king or a... Merlin or whatever, right? But, but we're a levelless system. We don't have levels. We don't. Uh, you don't level up much. You get one repute point. You get one point to put on your attributes, and that's it. 
that one point is modifies your D12. So uh, it's a it's a one point addition to a potential D12 check, right? So it's very simple, and uh, and we got it done, the original done, and uh, Brian ran a game for us that was genius, and Kevin Millman ran a game for us that was one of the best experiences I've ever had with our with our beta rules. He ran us through a, a session that I still to this day I'm mean, that was fucking amazing. I mean, I was in character the whole game. Never once did I think about mechanics. And I, I, you know, you would have to ask Kevin whether he liked the presenter side of the table, but the fact that he ran such a—I mean, it was an amazing experience. And I, I think Kevin dug it too. I don't know. You'd have to ask Kevin how he liked running the game. But uh, there is no prep, really. You know, we do teach uh, what's called uh, uh, session construction. So you do construct a a one-page session. It's just one page of of highlights. With a with a random seed table, and that is that's your session prep. It takes ten minutes, fifteen minutes to, to to prepare a session, and then you can string sessions together in context as their as their characters change the world, right? So your random seed generator should always remember what happened in the last session. So in a in a game, Dell and I play tested. I rolled flood. It was a three. It was an eighteen actually on the chart. It was a catastrophic flood. This was this was a bible. This was biblical. So I literally Dredgewater, the the the, the town that the character started in was destroyed in that session. First session, catastrophic flood destroyed the entire village. Uh, and so if we continue with that character and we play the next game, Dredgewater's gone. It's it's been decimated. So that's just changed the entire world that Dell's character's in. So you have to take notes. You're gonna have to be prepared that your next random seed generator for the next session might be rebuilding Dredgewater issues. It might be bandits are tenfold now because Dredgewater has been reduced to, to a, a, a epic disaster, which is going to create more bandits. It's going to create more. So then you're, you would change those random seeds to, to reflect what's happening around Dredgewater. Or, or if Dell happened to become the, the steward of a little castle, right? You need random seeds to affect his responsibilities as steward. So you, you make the random seeds contextual to what the characters are achieving or doing in game. And it, it really is uh, wide open. So, and again, the prep is very low. Players have very little to be concerned about. The character sheet is four attributes, five attributes, basically. So it's it was writ, it was written to be a minimalist game, uh, but it's got much more depth in the rulebook than a than a one page RPG, if that makes sense. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, sure. And so, so it's interesting. Well, first off, let's wait when you were describing it. There's threes of listeners screaming Dungeon World and fucking Fate as you're talking about some Yeah, and I, 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 yeah, those you know. are two I've never read. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. Oddly enough, I've never played those and I haven't read yeah. them, so okay. Yeah. But you know, I'm just saying like, because the, the, the concept is familiar with, with some folks. Um, okay. And also, I know Rich personally loves when you don't use the term Dungeon Master or Game Master as the uh, person who runs the game. That is his favorite shit ever. Yeah, ours, is, ours presents. Ours is the presenter, right? Yeah, I don't know. Somebody told me Dungeon World, though, was cued by adjectives, right? Uh, you use terminology, right? Don't you? Uh, that's, um. oh, shit, help me. The the Monty Cook one. Uh, or Cortex? No, not Cortex. No, no, Monty, no, Cook's, no. You, Monty Cook's system is you're a, you're a noun that verbs... You know, oh, adverbally or whatever the God, fuck. Um, I can't think of the name of the game now. I know anyway. it too. Uh, yeah, three, three, again, threes of people are screaming like what the answer is. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, but I, I, so I knew something about Dungeon yeah. World being prompted. Numenera. Mechanics were prompted by words. Yeah, Numenera. Yeah. Numenera. So right. what I was gonna say though is, is like, <clears throat> um, what's interesting is, is uh, of all the games that you went into and made videos of, right? Like I. You completely walked away from a D twenty base to accomplish what you wanted, and it's to me that's that's really fascinating that there was such a, a devotion and focus to Dungeons and Dragons, and you know. Well, so let me give you that background. So yeah. when I wrote Dragon Slayer, it was a D ten game. Mm -hmm. I was keeping everything very small math. Yeah. Uh, then Dell introduced me to this sliding scale system he was using, and I said, "Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's use your your dice mechanic." Uh, with these other style concepts that I'm talking about, and these other these other presenter top, uh, concepts, and but we were using the D20, Scott. So let's let's be clear. It was a D20, <laughs> it was a D20 for that, 
we've only went back to the D12 you know, since yeah. I've come back, right? But, come back. but still, you are... We weren't, we weren't using focused the D- on that, right? You know. Oh, we didn't care what dice. I mean, we could have yeah. used cards. We could have used... Right, uh, so that's what's interesting is... Yeah, I, think, I, think, I, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, we only care about pass-fail, and we do use yeah. pass-fail, right? Except yeah. we make it clear in the rules. It's pass-fail, but, it, but failure changes circumstances, changes situation. It shouldn't end the narrative direction yeah absolutely. so if Dale says i'm going to stab the viking and he fails well he takes a wound as i describe how the viking uh you know parries his sword and uh, kicks him in the crotch sending him back across the room onto his butt next and then Dell says well i'm getting up and I'm, I'm now looking for uh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna grab a torch or whatever you know whatever Dell wants to do uh and then of course he can call into all kinds of ways to utilize his attributes his mind his spirit his Sure. His, his prestige, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in Savage Worlds, you would taunt. Well, in our game, you would use prestige, right? You could actually yeah. challenge them, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and prestige might be called upon in that nice. in that taunt, right? Yeah. So, but the GM is in complete kind of flexibility as to how that's presented based on how the character narrates. So if Dell narrates something physical, I say make a body check for that, Dell, if it's a challenge. If he narrates uh, that he's, you know, uh, calling the king out, uh, I'll say, okay, we're looking at a prestige check here, buddy, at a very high difficulty because it's the king and you're just a freaking uh, blacksmith. And, you know, his prestige is zero because he's, you know, he's already won. Maybe he's just a blacksmith with a hut, right? It's going to be a lower effect upon the king to demand the king do something, right? So mm-hmm. so we're using the mechanics based on what they act, what, what they are narrating they're doing or what they're in character doing, hopefully in character doing first person. You sure. Right. Yeah. What was, um, you all just ran a, a game. It was a Viking invasion game in, in dark age of man. Yeah. A couple days ago, last week. Well, Del, so Dell ran, uh, Del ran us, uh, he and his son, Jory in a Viking game. Uh, so Dell, Del, so here, so we, we've created England, which is England, 960, roughly 900 to 1100, right? We don't, it doesn't really matter. We're not sticking hard and fast. It's, it's fictional version. And, and, uh, we've defined our England and we've defined where you start in the game. Well, Dell said, dude, I, I really think we should add, and we have sea peoples. So we just call them the sea peoples and they're a threat all the time. They should be on every one of your random sea charts. The sea peoples raid, the sea peoples are scouting, the sea peoples are hunting, the sea peoples are trading, whatever. They should be on there somewhere. And then Dell said, dude, I've been listening to the dark, dark ages, great courses, dude, we should really make sure the Vikings are in the book. They should have, they should have a written description and we should, that you should let players become sea peoples. I said, absolutely. I have no problem. That'd be sweet. So Dell said, let's play test it. And you and Jory can be Vikings on your first raid. And so that's what we did. And we had this conversation like the day before 45 minutes. And then Dell says, Hey man, let's run it tomorrow. Jory's home from school. You're home. I said, okay. And Dell comes in from work, sits down has five minutes, he's, he's jamming food into his mouth, and Dell's running a session that goes for an hour and a half, two hours, yeah. and he had five minutes to prepare. Uh, that's that's what we're talking about, and it was fantastic. It was a cool right. session. It was, it was it was a good listen. So, And that was the thing, is people want to kind of check out how the, how the system sure out now. Sure. Yeah, it was, it was a very cool one uh, sure. to listen to. But, uh, we make no bones about it. It's really about a certain style of play, yeah. somewhat more than mechanics. But again, you'd like your mechanics to support that style, and that's the kicker. Making sure the mechanics support what you're claiming the style should be. Yeah. So we're dictating. We want to dictate style or or system matters, right? System affects play. So Sword and uh, Savage Worlds find example. Uh, you're not going to get pulp if Savage Worlds doesn't have this uh, aces and raises, right? I mean that creates some serious pulp, right? It's yeah. bigger. It's larger than life, and the players are going to succeed a lot more, and they're in con- they're in control of how much they succeed by using bennies and Right, getting those extra dice rolls. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, you can hear that one. And then I ran a game a couple of days later. Uh, right. I actually used our rules. That's right. Uh, I thought, you know, I better sit down. Maybe we better go ahead. And, I hadn't seen our book in eleven months. I mean, I literally walked away from the computer for eleven months. I didn't write. I didn't look at anything. I didn't. I wasn't online. I took a hiatus from everything. And I said, I thought, you know, maybe since. You know, I haven't seen this book. I should probably sit down and read my session construction rules and actually make follow my rules. So I use my rules to make a one page, the one page session thing, and that's what I ran. That's the last game I ran. Uh, that's our last Dark Age of Man play test that's on the channel. Is that okay? And I even walk people through that. I think I, I think in the game I talk about how uh, uh, out of those seventeen 
let's see here, 17. How many options? Uh, how many options are in 3 to 18? <laughs> I, I mean, what is that? 17 on the chart? How many? Is that 16? Something. Uh, they ended up. They ended up activating seven random seeds in that hour and a half. Uh, so you just get an idea of how much how much that random seed chart can 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 put in front of them these interesting variables that keep the game moving. But they have a major dilemma, they have a minor dilemma, and they have an inciting incident. So we define how they're set up. We define the major dilemma that's happening around them, the minor dilemma that can affect the major dilemma, and then we have the inciting incident that the players generally face in the first few minutes. Then they're off and running. And then, of course, random seeds are these things that kind of can, can bump them off course or can be uh, can be game changers, you know, uh, the plague, right? The plague will show up. Now they're dealing with people dying of the plague and, you know, they're potentially threatened by the plague. So uh, it, cha- it can change the entire direction of the session. Sure. I mean, it's right? cool. I, I, just from what I've seen and what I've heard, I think you guys have a winner on your hands. I, I really do. And, you know, it's it's... It's like it, you, well, I learned the it, same lesson. You know, it was like yeah. I gave up trying to make Dungeons and Dragons. And I saw it worked <laughs> for me, so I'm like, right. I could just write right. my own game, and I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I had no intention. I mean, I've designed sports games and I've sold sports games, but again, as I said before, I didn't design it to make money. I designed it for me, and then if it turns out other people like it, hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, we want to make a really good game that if people want to buy it. Uh, they're going to get at least a, a, a book worth having on the shelf. We got some really cool artists. Uh, we got we got all original art to the whole book and the cover. And they're all uh, in the community. We wanted to use artists that are also in the community, and uh, so we're going to have a uh, we're going to have some pretty good art in the book, I think. And it's just going to be a different book. Now I haven't seen something like Dungeon Woods, but you know I've said it before. You know how, how innovative is how much innovation? Runeslinger and I talked about this a while back. Anthony and I. How much innovation are we really seeing in the in the hobby anyway? I mean, what oh, yeah. is innovation and how much do we see? So right. you're bound to by accident. It's like saying, dude, you guys are rock and roll. That's isn't that what uh, <laughs> isn't that what uh, that's ACDC. Don't you know, yeah. you're bound to sound like somebody else. You're bound to. Yeah. So I'm I, sure there's going to be some styles of games that would our game might appeal to Dungeon World people. Maybe. Yes, more. absolutely. It will. That might be what you're saying. Right? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I think so there, there may be yeah. an audience for the kind of thing. We're absolutely. Doing. I don't there know. Is. Yeah. Because yeah. people go crazy for it because it's quick and fast to run. And I, that's I it. That, it's that, more important for a right. lot of people. But there's no doubt mechanics influence. I mean, there's times I'm torn because I really like the easy play and the easy uh, IC first-person perspective. But then a game like Savage Worlds, you're like, you know, I really dig the fact that this shit, this is supported by a mechanic, yeah. right? There is something about their direct mechanic supported by taunt or direct mechanic, uh, you know, and uh, it, there is a certain satisfaction to uh, utilizing that, but then also recognizing how that's affected play, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, sure. And it's everything I run, right. Savage. you said it, Savage Worlds, d d it doesn't matter what game I run, yeah. I run at such a frenetic pace. That's me, yeah. That, yeah, the players, have you have no choice but to come along for the ride I'm going to take you. That's, that's and you're gonna right. And you can make all the crazy choices, yeah. and I'm just going to do crazy shit to yeah. see how far you're willing right. to make those choices. Right. And please, no mother may I, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm begging you, no mother may I, right? So, look, yeah. listen, I'd rather you just declare what you're doing. Don't yeah. ask me if you can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked about that too, especially on the channel. It was like, stop asking if you can search yeah. for something. Say, I'm going over to the wall to look yeah. for a secret door. It's that yeah. easy. But I, I don't, and I don't, I'm not sure how that got broken in gaming, but that's a topic for another day. Oh man, I don't, I don't know. Uh, that is, that's true. Uh, we could talk about <laughs> bad habits, or we could talk about how games. this. Yeah, yeah. Goddamn yeah. video games ruining the youth of today. <laughs> I did have some millennial, millennials today admit that's sort of where all this is stemming from—the video game culture. Sons of bitches. I guess I, you know, you know. it's that's a, that's really it's hard for me to say. When I read the examples in the old D and D books. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, when they when they give those examples, those, uh, you know, Gary says yeah. you're standing in front of a door and it's, you know, whatever. And, they, and the guy says, I, I don't recall ever in those examples anybody saying, can I pick the lock? Not not, not at all. It's always in character. Like, right. And it's yeah. always I'm going to pick the lock. Get out of the way, Joe. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute. Right. So where yeah. does this stuff learned? I mean, yeah. where does this uh, yeah, these know. habits come from? Uh, all I can think is it comes from people who have that are so rookie. They're so noob that they can't imagine what they're allowed to do. 
Yeah. But I'm a Gen Xer, dude. You don't, I don't ever yeah. ask permission. No, exactly. We don't give a shit. So no, dude, I don't ask permission. I'm doing my shit. You're going to have to, you're going to actually have to scold me. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to tell me, dude, Jay, you can't do that. Right. Uh, now it's like premature imagining. That's something I don't think I do as a as a player. Uh, the premature imagining was also bizarre to me. Why would you Why would you announce you're doing something that you haven't yet done, especially when dice are involved, right? But apparently people do that all the time as well, right? They yeah. they imagine that they've already killed the goblin and they haven't even rolled the die yet. Right? Yeah. it's like, well, don't, don't please don't tell me you've killed the goblin. Let's see if you roll the dice. Yeah, but you, there's no way of getting away from that even in. Uh, you know, D and D. You know, the uh, the pass fail system creates this dynamic that we're all waiting for the dice to drop before we can actually imagine it, and th- and then you get into the hit miss thing, right? Hit miss, hit miss, hit miss, hit crit twenty. <laughs> right? That's the, most D and D games. That's how they they devolve into that, right? Yeah. So fascinating. I must have run uh, Rich and Santa out of here, man. I haven't heard them. I'm, I'm rambling on here. Oh no, I'm right here. <laughs> they get quiet sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, my my voice has been kind of cutting in and out over the past uh, couple of weeks, so I don't okay. really mind too much. Well, let me know if I'm if I'm talking too much about our game and no, we'll no, talk more about. <laughs> no, that's that's good. We, we have developing, it tends to dominate your consciousness when you're writing and developing. It's hard to. It's what's on oh, our mind, right? Hundred percent, and like it is true that like if you're chasing the tabletop dragon, sometimes it's mm-hmm. better just to create your own because you're never going to find exactly what you want, right? So I well, think, I think it actually exactly. summarized it quite well. Yeah. Um, we're running up on to about the one hour mark. Okay. Okay. So um, if people are curious about actually checking out your game or even uh, you and your buddy's channel, what's the best way of looking it up? Oh, well, uh, Roleplay Cafe uh, on uh, YouTube is a good way to just see what we're doing. And we try to keep updates of Dark Age of. We try to run play tests quite a bit. Most of the sessions I've run that are on that channel use our style, even if we weren't running our game. So the 2061 stuff, where Dell and I perfected this kind of way. If you look up those actual play 2061 videos, you can see us doing that with a, a game called IA, uh, I, AIW, which is a one page. Uh, free uh, game and that's where we decided we, we kept stripping the systems away so we started with modern age and said man there's too many mechanics let's strip that away we went to a wild west uh, osr and i said no 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 too many mechanics strip it away i found the aia stuff and then i've ran a I've run a conan session with uh, idw which is aia's fantasy um and uh so you can just see kind of how we're working on this this kind of preparation presenting and uh, the random seeds but yeah, that's where you go. Now, Dark Age of Man, technically the manuscript's for the most part done. We're just proofreading and we're making sure there's not some things we need to make sure we don't, we need to get in and out. And that's going into the the publisher. We start laying in the art and everything for the book. And then that will eventually be available on Drive RPG. We'd like to do print on demand, of course, uh, hardcover, softcover. And then uh, we, I, we don't know if we're going to have a digital version or not. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do there, but we haven't decided all that. But I'm hoping it'll be out in a few months, but we'll see, right? Nice. So the, all the art's done. Uh, the manuscript's done. It's just now it's the book layout, and it's going to be uh, uh, pr- proofreading and some final tweaks if there's a couple things we want to take out of the rules or, or add to the rules. But it's it's basically ready to go. But it, yeah, as far as where it's available yet, um, not yet. And I can't even tell you when. So we're not going to do a Kickstarter or anything. We're just going to publish it and, and you know, go from there. We've already paid for the art. We've already paid for, uh, you know, I've, uh, Anthony uh, did some line editing for us. I paid Anthony and uh, uh, I've paid uh, you know, our, our book editors uh, getting paid. So, uh, so we're just kind of doing this as we have money and out of our pocket kind of thing. So, yeah. But yeah, that's it. That's really all I can say. If you want to see, uh, if you want to see me run a Savage Worlds in the next month, you want to watch out for that. <laughs> I will be running that hopefully in August, right? That <laughs> sessions I'm working on. So yeah, I'm really digging Savage Worlds. So it's one of those games. And you know, this is the thing. I haven't found the perfect game, but I like all kinds of games. <laughs> there you go. I, depends on the mood I'm in, man. If I want D and D, there's nowhere better to get D and D than Moldvane, right? Just go dig up an old D and D book and. Play some D and D, right? So, yeah, uh, Savage Worlds might be one of those few that takes care of all those genres really well. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, 
And we're going to take up uh, Scott's. Uh, Scott's talking about running a fantasy game for us. We'll be taking him up on that. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. to see Savage Worlds do some. Uh, you know, I really believe Savage Worlds is perfect for Conan. Oh, yeah. You have, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole setting. Beast and Barbarians. It's Conan yeah. and Barbarian. I mean, I cannot, I can't, I mean, it's perfect. Absolutely perfect for Conan. Yeah. 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 But anyways, uh, thank you, Jason, for uh, hopping on. We're just hitting about the one hour mark. Um, If you guys like this episode, uh, you know, you can definitely check out Jason on his channel. If you, uh, and also if you like this episode, you know, you can send us an email at Mm -hmm. rpsmartpeople at gmail.com. Or if you hated this episode, let us know on Twitter at (laughs) rpsmartpeople. I hate smart people <laughs> yeah listen if you got some complaints send them to i hate smart people oh, yeah. we're not <laughs> right. there but you know at least somebody will get it yeah, but um, let, yeah, let them send it to some place that don't exist fuck them <laughs> yep and next week we'll have our special episode of session zero of curse of strahd where we're putting Ooh. our money where our mouth is and actually going to be running a 5e campaigns considering how much we've complained about it in the past um, wow Yep, and then after that... Do you guys that, do this face-to-face? Are you guys all in the same place? Oh, no. no. I'm in Canada, and they're in the U.S. and different places. I think Scott... And I, I thought Scott definitely. was in the U.S. for sure, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we'll have that to look for next week. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Jason.